in the gentle breeze of your spirit. Amen. I can invite you to stand as we hear from the Gospel of John. Fourteen, beginning at the eighth verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and, in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know me, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. May the words that come from my mouth be inspired by that same Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? I, um, I talked to um, clergy uh, who are a little bit older than me, and they, um, they often tell me how they have filing cabinets full of old sermons and how they often pull them out uh, when the time is right. And there's a little bit of a joke of why, why clergy move every three years is so they can recycle their, their old sermons. Um, I'm sure that's not true. Um, uh, but I, I don't keep mine in filing cabinet. I, um, I keep mine on a file on my computer. Um, and I do often read back my old uh, sermons. Uh, one of the, the greatest reasons I have... Uh, for not preaching the same sermon again is because when I do that, I find out how bad it was the first time around and all the mistakes that I made in it. I mean, as I was uh, doing that this week, I realised that in um, my time in church leadership, there have only been three occasions that I haven't preached about Pentecost. But all of the times that I've preached on Pentecost Sunday have all used the passage from Acts of the Apostles the one that inspired the video that we, we saw at the beginning of our service. The tongues of fire, the different language being spoken by uh, each one of uh, the apostles so that everybody could hear it in their own language. And Peter's first ever sermon resulting in the, the birth of the first church with 3,000 people. In fact, it's probably a little bit more than 3,000 people. Numbers are important. You've got 3,000 converts. You've got the 12 disciples. You've got the 70 or so people who were probably around Jesus at the time. Um, so it's probably closer to 3,100 
was the size of the first church. That's right. The first church was a mega church. I know there's often some criticisms of mega churches, but our first church was a mega church. The Acts passage is a great story. I love the drama. I love the action and the movement. And of course, I love the clear evidence of the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Each year, however, our little book of instructions of what um, readings we should use always pairs this passage with a part of John's Gospel where Jesus talks to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. I think it's one of the rare occasions where we find in the church's year the words of Jesus are constantly overshadowed by another part of the Bible. The section of uh, John's Gospel where Jesus teaches his disciples about the Holy Spirit, um, the whole chunk is known as the farewell discourse. Jesus' last teaching to his disciples before he is arrested. So the tone is very different to what you find in the Acts of the Apostles. It doesn't have anywhere near all the action and the drama and the movement. There's no adventure. It's a private conversation with the closest people to Jesus. And it's interspersed with prayer. It's a little bit like a small group or a Bible study. So to mix it up a little bit this year, um, while not completely abandoning um, the passage from Acts, I did want to pay a little bit more attention to what John's gospel and Jesus' words say about the Holy Spirit. John, in this passage that Paul read for us this morning, doesn't actually use the term Holy Spirit. There's none of the familiar images that we see around our church at the moment. There's no doves or fire, um, nothing supernatural present in this particular passage. The term in John's Gospel, in Jesus' words, is parakletos, which we read in our translation as advocate, another advocate. And that particular word has always been a bit of a challenge for Bible translators to convert, particularly to English. I'm not sure how it goes in other, other languages, but in English it's become a little bit of a challenge. If at home you've got an old King James version of the Bible, some people say that that's the only version of the Bible, as if... King James was actually present when the Bible was written, but he wasn't. But it's, it's a good version. And that says comforter as a translation of parakletos. The new King James version says helper. The Revised Standard Version and the NIV Bible, that, that I know many people have an NIV in their home, uses the word counsellor. The translation that we read this morning um, advocate. And the New Jerusalem Bible converts parakletos to the very common English expression paraclete. I'm sure you use that in your everyday language. Hey, have you seen the paraclete? Oh, you're a really good paraclete. Uh, maybe we should bring paraclete back into the vernacular. But this Greek word parakletos is made up of two sections. 
Firstly, the participle form of the verb to call. And secondly, the preposition beside. So in the context of Jesus' words, parakletos means one who has been called to the side of another. While the Acts passage that Luke shares with us has the coming of the Holy Spirit in a very public and noisy way, in John it seems much more subtle and intimate. And at the end of the farewell discourse, uh, we, we hear this passage. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Much more gentle, isn't it? The breath, the gentle breath of Jesus. I, I did want to quickly just allay any fears um, and concerns. Because you might be saying to yourself, well, hang on. Luke says that the Holy Spirit doesn't come until Pentecost. But John's Gospel says, Jesus breathed and the Holy Spirit came upon them. How does that work? And particularly when you're talking with people who, who aren't Christians and, and who have um, uh, the mind to, to try and find fault and failing in everything we do, but including the inconsistencies we can find in the Bible, might say, well, okay, you either got to pick whether John's right or Luke's right, and one of them's wrong. How do we deal with this? Well, interestingly, the Holy Spirit is actually referred to throughout the Holy Scriptures, including the Old Testament. number of occasions the Spirit of God is referred to. And so, me personally, I don't have an issue with a different expression or understanding of the Holy Spirit or revelation of the Holy Spirit happening before Jesus, a different revelation of the Holy Spirit happening during Jesus' presence with us on earth, and a different revelation of the Holy Spirit happening after Jesus ascended into heaven. It makes sense to me as a believer in the Trinity, but we get more on that next week for Trinity Sunday. And it's actually backed up with what the Bible says. But if you've ever had concern, reservation or confusion about the Holy Spirit, then I think the Gospel of John and the farewell discourse and the passage we have before us today is a great place to start. Growing up, I definitely had some significant issues with the Holy Spirit. When I was about 10 or 11 years old, uh, the same age that my youngest son is now, uh, my parents took me to a strange church. Uh, my parents were training to be, uh, my dad was training to be a priest at Theological College at the time, so I was starting to get used to going to all these new strange churches. Uh, but this particular one was the strangest one that I'd been to. Partway through the service, all of a sudden, people started to fall over. And weird things started to happen. And there's no other way of saying it, but as a 10-year-old or 11-year-old, 
it freaked me out. And I don't remember anybody ever explaining what had happened to me. I certainly didn't understand what had happened, so much so that that I I really didn't want to, and if anybody brought up this Holy Spirit stuff, I didn't want to go anywhere near it for a long time. Ironically, it, it took to my early 20s before I was prepared to go deep and really explore the nature of the Holy Spirit in general, but also the nature of the Holy Spirit in and through me. And the environment for which I felt comfortable enough to do that was actually a John's Gospel-style environment, not an Acts of the Apostle-style environment. It was within my Bible study at the time. While the Acts and also the epistles uh, following the books after Acts does detail some of the more supernatural aspects of the Holy Spirit. In John's Gospel, we get a better understanding of the relational side of the Holy Spirit. When we look at John's Gospel, we see very clearly that if we want to know how the Holy Spirit will function and how the Holy Spirit will function with us, then John's Gospel says all we need to do is look at the life of Jesus and his three years of ministry. As Jesus has been with us in that ministry, so too the Holy Spirit will be with us, the church, for eternity. In John we see that the action and the nature of the Holy Spirit is wholly consistent with the nature of God, And the person of Jesus. Which again should not surprise us because they are all God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But more on that next week. When we look at uh, this particular word, um, parakletos, the Bible uh, translations translate it a number of ways, but but there's even even more ways of looking at what this, this word means. Advocate, comforter, helper, intercessor, consoler, guider, aider. When you look at those three years of Jesus' ministry, don't you see all of those things in the person of Jesus? Jesus the advocate, Jesus the comforter, Jesus the helper, Jesus the intercessor, the consoler, the guider and the aider. You do see more. But simply put, The Holy Spirit is the presence of God called beside us. But this simple relational description has profound and powerful impact. Or at the very least, it should. You not only get the parakletos nature of Jesus in the Gospels, you also get Jesus, the miracle worker. You get Jesus, the truth teller, the table turner. And you get Jesus, the resurrected and ascended saviour. It's not an either or. It's a both and. But starting with this parakletos nature can 
be a great way for us to open up further to the Holy Spirit. And John's gospel and Jesus' words compel us to go further and to go deeper with the Holy Spirit. I love how at that first sermon uh, on the day of Pentecost, we, we get of all the disciples that's going to deliver it, it's Peter. You remember Peter in the Gospels? He's the guy who always gets his words wrong. He's always saying stupid things and Jesus has to correct him. He's the one who denied Jesus three times. Yet, on this occasion, he preached about, not the topic of the day, not what's going on in the world, he preached about Jesus in a way that the people who had gathered from 15 different nationalities from a Jewish background could understand by going back to the prophet Joel. Turning Peter into the world's first and arguably the best evangelist, <laughs> that's pretty supernatural, if you ask me. And while we're on this passage from Acts, we should really pay attention to the fact that the gift that is given to the disciples on this day, this revelation of the Holy Spirit, is not expressly for them, but for those who were outside of, of their intimate group, those who are outside the Jesus movement, those people who had been displaced in a language world not of their own. And we shouldn't miss this. That part of the spiritual gifting of the Holy Spirit is not for us to hold on to selfishly so that we're just constantly form, feeling warm and fuzzy all the time. But it's for those outside listening to our words and our actions seems that one of the marks of the Holy Spirit is that it empowers us to connect to others. And as the church 2,000 years later, our need to position ourselves towards others outside of ourselves, I for one believe it has never been greater than those days of the early church. I believe that there is a greater need for this and a greater need for the greater things. And this is what's foreshadowed in John's Gospel. Greater things. In verse 12 of this passage, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and, in fact, will do greater works than these. Just hang on that for a moment. We could do works just like Jesus? If you didn't think that was a bar high enough to jump over, Jesus says we'll do greater works than we read about in the Gospels. 
Because Jesus is going to the Father and we are his body. The disciples experience the parakletos of the Holy Spirit in the lead up to Jesus' arrest during his death on the cross. The parakletos of, of the Holy Spirit is present when Jesus is resurrected and appears to the disciples. The parakletos of the Holy Spirit is with them as Jesus is ascended and they're left by themselves. But it's when we get to the day of Pentecost, that's when we start to see some more of the greater things. I wonder, do we actually believe that greater things are possible? Are still possible? Or maybe we're just happy enough with the Paracletos part. It strikes me, though, that you need the Paracletos to get the greater things. And you can't have greater things by wiping away all the Paracletos. Uh, earlier this week, I was uh, hanging out with one of our, un- our congregation members from, um, from this this uh, service, and I did uh, warn him that I was going to steal one of his expressions for my sermon. So this one is copyright 2019 Dick and Harding, um, uh, who had an expression when he was encouraging us as Christians to have a life of fiery passion. I like that. And it's, it's an it's a expression that stayed with me most of the week. And, and as I've been thinking and praying about it, I came up with a mathematical formula. I'm an accountant, not only am I a New South Wales fan, there's another sin in my, my past that I'm an accountant. Uh, and my, my brain works that way, I'm sorry, but it made sense to me that parakletos plus greater things is a life of fiery passion. Do we have that? Do we have both of those working together? Or at different points in our lives, can we look back and say, oh, that was a Paracletos moment, Paracletos season. Wow, that was greater things. I'd encourage you um, sometime this week to just to spend some time reflecting on your journey with Christ and, and to see those evidences. And I, I, I have no doubt that you'll find them. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we have parakletos, but we also have greater things. And when we're aware of that, and when it's active, what happens? A life of fiery passion. And so we ask ourselves as as we sit here today, is our vision big enough? More on that next week. I'll build up next week. I'm going to have to preach good next week, aren't I? (laughs) Jesus says uh, at the end of this particular section, at verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. So as we know already that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God, But it's the presence of God that reminds us of who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and all the promises of Jesus. 
causing us to change our focus to seek first. You might have heard that expression once or twice this year already. To have a seek first focus. From that, bumbling fools like Peter can preach sermons that convert 3,000 people. That's got to be greater things, doesn't it? That's got to bring hope. So this morning, I'm going to ask you very simply, do you want, do you need an advocate, a comforter, a helper, an intercessor, a consoler, a guider, or an aider? If your answer is yes, you need the Holy Spirit. Do you want greater things? Do you believe for greater things for yourself, for your friends, for your family, for, for your community, for this world, for the church? The only way that can happen is, is when we realise our need for the Holy Spirit. And the evidence of the Holy Spirit is a life of fiery passion. And I can think of nothing better than to position ourselves to those outside the Jesus movement of today than the church, the body of Christ, living lives of fiery passion. I pray slightly differently as I finish uh, this morning. Um, I'm not really a, an altar call type priest. Maybe one day God will convict me with the more power of the Holy Spirit and I'll do that a better job. I'm not really a hands-up type, type of church. Um, if, if, if you want to use your hands uh, in any way during this prayer, you're very welcome to do so. Uh, but, but I'd love for you to just pray um, silently with me as I pray. And I'm going to pray uh, for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall afresh on each one of us, uh, which might be the first time you've realised that the Holy Spirit is an active part of who you are. Again, the Bible clearly states that if you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit's with you. It might be today that, that you are able to say for the first time, I believe in Jesus and I want this Holy Spirit. So just, just pray gently with that intimate breath of Jesus. Loving God, uh, this church this morning is, is filled with with people who've given up a good chunk of their spare time to be in this place for lots of different reasons. Around us are people who are just yearning for your paracletos, who need an advocate, who are going through difficult times and need someone to comfort, to help, and console them. Who don't have the words and they need someone to intercede on their behalf. Or are really struggling for direction. And need your paracletos of your Holy Spirit. So come powerfully, Holy Spirit. And rest gently on your people. Show them the intimacy of your love.
Show them the realness of the relationship that you promise. Lord, amongst us, there are people who are just longing for greater things. That are looking at their lives, our church, the world, our community. And realizing that there is more. There must be more. Many of us haven't had the faith brave enough to believe that your works can actually move mountains and that greater things are yet to be revealed. So come, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh as you did with the disciples on that day of Pentecost. Help us to be more aware of your greater things at work. Help us to pay attention to those people around us who are ministering in your name. In languages that we're not used to speaking, but are powerfully revealing your love. But most of all, Lord, help us to be bearers of those greater things, to be revealers of those greater things. We believe that you've chosen us and that you will work in and through us. And so we wait expectantly for greater things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we give thanks for those greater things and sing together?